0: All right, say, quarter rest is available on Apple. Tree. No, no, say it. Quarter I rest is available I on can't Apple. Go,
1: I can't say what, you, what you're t- name to me. Let me do this recording all by my own.
0: Okay. So let's move forward. I want to talk about, I want us to talk about the Tea Party. Oh, yeah. Now, I am not talking about the astroturfed political <laughs> movement that emerged around the time of the 2010 U.S. presidential, not presidential, but the U.S. primary election. I'm not talking about the anti-tax Tea Party. I'm talking about the Canadian Band the Tea Party. So the Tea Party is a Canadian, I guess you would call them an alternative rock band, that kind of early on established this niche of being a rock band, but incorporating kind of Middle Eastern and Asian instruments and sounds mm. into their music. Now, you don't hear as much of that on the album that we're going to be discussing, which is a later album called The Interzone Mantras. But that was their early niche. Um, they became fairly successful in Canada later on. Their biggest hit was a song called, I believe it is called, Heaven Coming Down. I believe that was the album before this one. I, I really should write these things down next time. I'm going to write a reminder to check my reminders.
1: The album before the interest in mantras, I'm on Wikipedia right now, was Triptych.
0: Yeah, and triptych Heaven has, Coming Down. Yeah. Heaven Coming Down is from Triptych. Um, that song received a fair bit of radio play in Canada and it still does. So if you're not Canadian, you've probably never heard of the Tea Party or you've, you, you, you associate it with the political movement. Um, but this is a band that is somewhat well-known in Canada. They do receive a certain amount of radio play even to this day. You know, if I turn on the local classic rock station based in Ottawa, I am probably going to hear the Tea Party once or twice a day because they do still get played. So, John? mm mm-hmm. Talk to me about the party of tea well, and the mantras of Interzone.
1: Having lived in the great United States of America my whole life, the Tea Party that I had previously known, the only Tea Party, was the political Tea Party. And I I just want to share this fun fact. And the
0: Boston Tea Party.
1: The fun fact, that political movement tried to buy the domain name teaparty.com. From the band the Tea Party, that makes sense. But the Tea Party, who I I admire them because they could have made a lot of money by doing that, but they refused to because they did not want to support that. And in both of our minds, very uh, xenophobic and toxic political movement. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about this this band, which is awesome. It's great.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you think so. So yeah. So go on, go on.
1: So. I was going to say, I think I have a new favorite Canadian prog rock trio because <laughs> this is when you think progressive rock, you think about this like really note laden, technical, noodly type music stuff. But when I say progressive rock, that's not what this is. When this, this album is progressive because it just combines a lot of different influences and a lot of really interesting musical twists. Like, it doesn't blow you away with a bunch of shredded notes and complicated types. Not at all. You can't get out of the beat. It just has these very subtle changes and unusual rhythms and obviously Middle Eastern influences, like you've already talked about.
0: And it's very tight. And I mean, like, it's probably not the easiest stuff in the world to play, but you're right. It's kind of deceptively simple. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really thought of it as a progressive rock album, although, I mean, yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does draw from that to a great degree. Mm -hmm.
1: What I'd say is, even though this was put out in the 90s, I don't think Rush influenced the Tea Party at all. I think the Tea Party influenced Rush's later albums that they put out in the 2000s.
0: That's a good point. And that's probably true because Rush were major trend followers all throughout their career. They were always kind of incorporating whatever was popular in the world of rock music into their sound. And I'm not saying that to throw shade on Rush. I quite quite like a lot of Rush's stuff. But you're probably not wrong. (laughs) They probably were influenced by the Tea Party. I even felt, and I was listening to this album in the car earlier today. I even feel like there are a few moments where it hints at like new metal. Like some of the guitar tones even sound just very slightly reminiscent of like corn, not like Limp Bizkit, but like early corn.
1: That's funny because I was gonna say I had a hard time thinking of bands that this reminded me of. Loosest connection I could draw with maybe it sounds a little like Faith No More.
0: I I heard that as well. I heard that as well.
1: Yeah. So I would not uh, tar their great name, no pun intended, uh, by associating them with new metal. I would associate them with Faith No More.
0: Yeah. No. And I I, I didn't mean it as an insult because I mean yeah. the, the more obnoxious elements of new metal, especially new metal like like Limp is get are totally absent. There's no. Uh, Like annoying, pointless, you know, DJ playing, you know, making record scratch sounds. Uh, And it's a very riff heavy album. There are lots of riffs, lots of like good Mm -hmm. hard rock guitar riffs that don't sound like they're stolen straight from Jimmy Page. And they also aren't like too many notes, but they aren't like really dumb riffs either. They're like interesting and musical and appealing riffs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I dig that
1: yeah so the unfortunate thing about this album i actually haven't heard two of the songs because it's not on spotify and that's how i've been listening to all the albums that i don't currently on but i will be purchasing it i'll let you know because this is a fantastic album i really like the song lullaby that was definitely my favorite uh, yep. track so far just super creepy
0: Yeah. Oh, I love the the beginning where it samples the lullaby.
1: Yeah. The opening song is, yeah. Then it's going on to talk about, you know, I think it's talking about abusing drugs to get yourself to sleep, but I don't know.
0: Oh, I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure. I haven't actually looked at the lyrics on this album. That's one thing I'm not a huge fan of with the Tea Party is their lyrics tend to be very serious and very dense. I do kind of, I have a little bit of a, a thing for bands that, that have more fun with their lyrics. Um, it's a minor criticism and there are lots of bands that I really enjoy that mm. take themselves too seriously in their lyrics. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a, a game game changer yeah. or a, a deal breaker for me.
1: Yeah. And I think the greatest quality about this band that I think is common to a lot of like my most favorite bands, my most favorite records to listen to is just, you can hear how it's influenced by different genres but you can't like pick out any one band that it's imitating like i can't compare this to like i don't know one particular precursor that inspired them the one exception the beginning of apathy sounds very similar to a nick cave song oh and I think that is like the one instance I noticed that they may have a little bit of unconscious plagiarism, but I won't.
0: Maybe. I, won't, I, uh, I didn't notice that. But I that. don't know Nick Cage as uh, I'm sorry, Nick Cave. Nick Cave. Of course, of course.
1: Not the nouveau shamanic actor who will take on any role to finance his, <laughs> his addictions, but Nick
0: Cave. <laughs> Nick Cave, the Australian, yes. I know who Nick Cave Macabre
1: is. singer-songwriter, yes.
0: Yeah, I like Nick Cave, but I don't know his output as well as you might.
1: Listen to "Let Love In." That's a great. Album. But um, we'll do this is hands down five bags of popcorn. But to honor the importance of keeping it in Canada, it has to be Saskatchewan grown. Ooh, It fills their five bags.
0: And if you want to keep it really Canadian, maybe some Quebec maple syrup on top and a bit of BC weed butter sprinkled on top. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Although, frankly, it's not just B.C. anymore. B.C. kind of has that reputation um, for being a place where yeah. quality cannabis is grown. Mm-hmm. It's But it less so now, now that it's legal across the country.
1: Oh, I didn't think it's it's legal up and down the, the West Coast now, isn't it? Yeah. Because Alaska
0: legalized it. In the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It'll come. National legalization, I'm sure it will. Yeah. So, what are we talking about next, Johnny?
1: So, the next album penultimate album that I gave Joe to listen to was an album. I, I, I think this is definitely my Nostradamus pick because for historical context, to those of you listening to this after the fact, I picked this album about two weeks before today. And I want to say 10 days before today was when George Floyd was murdered.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this album is called... Custom Carnal Blaxploitation. Those first two words are spelled with K's by the band Unrest. So this is a hardcore, almost post-hardcore album yeah. from the uh, turn of the, the decade, 1990 even. Yep. And th- it's the Washington, D.C. hardcore scene to boot. Custom Carnal Blaxploitation. With a name like that, In a time like this, you can't avoid talking about the race issue, and specifically the race issue with rock music. And I think that the very base of that issue is rock music, at least nowadays, its listener base, when you think about it, is very, very white. And that, that includes the artists, too, mostly. But when you look at the origins and the influences, and sometimes even the First bands in a genre of rock music. Yep. It's very black. The first, yeah, a lot of people consider the first rock and roll mu- musician, Chuck Berry, was black. And that music didn't get popular until Elvis Presley imitated it. And that's when it became popular. Mm-hmm. And so,
0: rock music. Oh, yeah. Rock and roll was, was, was black music. Yeah. In their, in its earliest days.
1: Yeah. We're talking about bands that kick off a genre that turns out to be very white, that are black. The Washington, D.C. hardcore scene. I'm sure you know the very first band in the Washington, D.C. hardcore scene, no?
0: ba bad Brains. Ba
1: bad Brains, yes. They weren't Jamaican, but uh, a Rastafari band, Yeah. which is very surprising. The very first hardcore punk band in Washington, D.C., which has all of these crazy, aggressive bands like Minor Threat, winds up being... A Rastafarian band. You'd think they'd be peaceful. You'd think they'd be, you know, playing reggae. And they did eventually, later, but they were playing these yeah. insanely fast, insanely complicated yeah. songs with incredible vocals.
0: And that was really what they were bringing to the genre was this new level of speed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this new level of musicianship, too, because they they were those guys could play. Yeah like they were not uh, they were not dudes who just picked up their instruments learned two chords and then went on stage like those guys were actually pretty good they were very good
1: yep they were they were incredible and then you look at a lot of bands that followed in that same scene are very very white and it's all of these yep. white kids from freaking uh, Arlington Virginia like unrest that are going into Washington DC to escape their stuffy conservative military brat upbringing. And they see this insanely intense band playing and they're immediately like, yes, this is what I want to do. And that spawned whole slew of post rock bands. This, this band is like probably one of the uh, later bands in the post hardcore scene. So this is like a decade later when it's not just play as fast as possible. It's like, have parts where you play as fast as possible, but
0: yeah, and we should be clear: this album sounds nothing like Bad Brains, no, and it it's doesn't. not fast at all. It's actually <laughs> quite slow and melancholy. And I mean, it's not all slow, but it's it's definitely not a speedy not a speedy album at all.
1: Yeah, and this when, when I to talk about post-hardcore, you think Fugazi yeah. is the most famous yeah. band to come out of that scene, and of course, the, like you're talking about, that was this evolution happened when they finally realized, you know just playing as fast as we possibly can. Like we can't really go anywhere creatively. Yeah, And so you get all these bands that combine that hardcore energy, but keep the energy, slow it down a bit and combine it with a lot more experimental. And so that's what you get on this album. So what did you think? Well, KKB, that
0: was an insightful an insightful and interesting connection you made. And I think it's definitely something that should be acknowledged is the the fact that the listener base and a lot of the musicians in rock music it definitely does skew white, although there are exceptions, and some of those exceptions are counted among the best players of the genre. And you're right, some of the most innovative as well. When you think about people like Jimi Hendrix, Chuck Berry, the Bad Brains, you know, and the list goes on. But yeah, that's a good point, and not one I was necessarily going to make, but I'm glad you brought it up. I liked this album. This was probably probably my second favorite of your recommendations, or maybe th- right. third. Yeah, somewhere, like, somewhere in there. I was reminded of a lot of things at different points. I was reminded of Slint a little bit. Oh, yeah. You know, there are a few parts that reminded me of the classic album Spiderland by Slint, which is just a fantastic musical journey if you've never taken it. You absolutely should.
1: And this was released in 90, so they would not have heard Spiderland, but they would have heard Slint's first album, which is not nearly as good, but still has the same sort of sound.
0: Same sort of sound, but not that cohesiveness that you find on Spiderland. Mm -hmm. And where was Slint out of?
1: Slint was out of Louisville, Kentucky, believe it or not.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. I did know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they might have known Slint. Um, I don't know if there's evidence that they did, but it's entirely possible. Um, What else was I reminded of? I was reminded of, I mean, I was reminded of DC Hardcore at times, but yeah, I mean, it it, it definitely is a post-hardcore album. Even seemed to be pointing in the direction of post-rock at times. Just not as mannered and pretty as some of the post-rock stuff lyrically i can't speak to that i i probably should have looked up some of the lyrics but i didn't <laughs> Bad me i'm gonna smack myself
1: i don't think you can look up the lyrics i think this is the kind of album where like they didn't put any lyric sheets in there and it's all so muffled that yeah probably you just got to make it as best you can yourself
0: it's very muffled it's rarely can you even come close to understanding what's being sung
1: yeah and you talk about you know we yeah we don't really pay that much attention to lyrics. I think I do more so now than I used to, but me too. This me is too. the kind of album just just lose yourself in the sound. The sound of the album is the lyrics. So that gives you the the mood.
0: It's all about the sound, yeah. the guitar timbers and the the kind of melancholy atmosphere that washes over most of these songs. Mm-hmm. So, I really enjoyed it. I was listening to this while I was at work, which which maybe wasn't a good idea. <laughs> But for time constraint reasons was a necessity. But yeah, though this is this is some good stuff. But it would have been nice to hear a little bit more energy at times. Gotcha. So this is why this is probably what prevented it from from being my favorite of tonight's recommendations. Is at times I would have liked not more speed, but more intensity. And you get little you you do get little tastes of it. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I wanted more. Gotcha. Sometimes I longed for a little bit more.
1: I don't know. This has got plenty of intensity for me.
0: but It's intense, but sometimes I wanted yeah. more, more loud dynamics. Yeah. At times.
1: Well, fine. Listen to freaking Minor Threat.
0: Yeah, I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> for that matter, I'll listen to Jello Biafra's over-the-top uh, warbling falsetto. Yeah. And wide vibrato. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that either. All right. I think we have just one more each, right? Yep. All right, so this is going to be my last recommendation that we're going to be discussing tonight. It is from the band Neurosis, and the album is The Eye of Every Storm. Now, I didn't know we were going to be doing this very biographical thing, talking about each album. John came very prepared for that, and I'm going to smack myself again for not <laughs> okay. doing the
1: same. I'm just a nerd. I, I know these things anyways, because I have to look on wikipedia and find out everything about it.
0: Every and i'm like that as well but 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 i should have been even more so like that so moving on enough self-criticism and self-flagellation this is another band that came out of the hardcore scene the very hardcore scene mm-hmm. um, but quickly moved away from just sort of speed and intensity and embraced atmosphere There's kind of a theme with most of my recommendations tonight is atmosphere and kind of melancholy, to be perfectly frank.
1: Mm,
0: Neurosis is extremely melancholy music, and this album is certainly no exception. It is, you know, if you were to describe it in terms of genre, you would probably call it post-metal. So what is post-metal? Well, it comes out of alternative metal, which was an incorporation of various styles of alternative rock, grunge. And the like into metal and post metal you know takes it a step further with elements of post rock and you really leave behind a lot of the cliches of metal but you keep the distorted guitars you keep the loud drums you might keep the screamed vocals you keep certain elements and you ditch others and you kind of embrace the avant-garde so that is really neurosis in a nut in a nutshell uh, embracing the avant-garde and embracing that feeling of deep melancholy.
1: Yeah. Melancholy. So I would say this is very... And men- the
0: infinite sadness. Yes.
1: Uh, there it is. <laughs> so you called this a very melancholy band. but I don't think they're the most melancholy band ever. You know what I think the most melancholy band ever is? Um it's a band you and I both like very much.
0: Probably Swans. The Swans, for sure. Yeah, definitely.
1: So Jarboe of the swans yes the year before this album was put out she and neurosis did a collaborative album together.
0: i did know that and i've heard it
1: and you can hear the influence of that all over the eye of every storm
0: yeah i should have mentioned also definitely a heavy influence from the no wave and noise rock scene Mm -hmm. all over neurosis again which makes sense because they were coming from the hardcore scene they were coming more from that world Mm -hmm. than from the metal world
1: yep And I think nowhere else is that influence more apparent than my favorite track on this album, the title track, The i Storm, which is an 11-minute just atmospheric building and building and making you feel all of this just despairing tension build up. And that, I think, is just very Hallmark Swansea. Yep. If you listen to it in the wrong mood, it might be, you know... <laughs> pretty emotionally devastating
0: might be deeply unpleasant yeah. i mean i think you definitely have to be in the right mood mm-hmm. you either have to be in a really good mode or you have to be in the worst of moods mm-hmm. such that the music kind of like lifts you out of it somehow yeah i've found that when i'm feeling down sometimes really dark music actually helps a lot mm-hmm. which is why i have listened to a lot of like death metal and black metal during the COVID-19 yeah. pandemic. Yeah. I've had a lot of dark feels in the last months. Yeah. And sometimes just listening to kind of angry or melancholic music really can help. It, yeah. for, sure. Depends on, for sure. Depends on the individual and depends on various factors. Mm-hmm. But back to Neurosis, my favorite track is the first track, Burn. Okay. I love that song. I don't know what it is about it. Most of it is very kind of melancholic, not terribly fast. It, it, it's 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 loud at the beginning, and then it's very soft for most of the song. I mean, it has a couple soft parts, but it has a very long, very quiet part with quiet synths. And then it comes back with a primal scream. We get these crashing guitars. And then this is honestly one of my favorite moments in, in like, heavy metal music. Yeah. Is like this. This sort of chord progression emerges, and then and there's loud guitars and loud drums, and everything quiets down, and we're left with just this kind of almost out of tune sounding synthesizer. Anyway, you got to give that song a listen. John already has, but if you're listening to this and you've never heard this album, I, I strongly recommend it. Yeah, John, do you have anything more to say? I don't want to take the floor away from.
1: Well, you. Well, you mentioned chord progressions, and I just wanted to say. They get a lot of mileage out of the minor one to major six uh, chord progression. I don't know if that's a cadence, but they get a lot of mileage out of it.
0: It's. <laughs> I, I don't want
1: to say that they, you know, get creatively lazy and it's like overused, but they know how to use it. No.
0: It- they do know how to use it and they use it a lot. And you're right. That's kind of a legitimate critique. Now that happens to be what's used in the song I was just talking about. Although the chord progression at the end is very different, very lush, very beautiful. I won't analyze the chords because that would bore almost everyone listening to this, except for the few music theory nerds, but it is a really cool chord progression with very cool guitar playing. Um, but you're right. They do, they do use that one chord progression, which what would be a popular song that uses that chord progression? Like, repetitively. <sighs> mm, trying to think.
1: I was going to say Seven Nation Army, but then it goes to five. So
0: Yeah, but if you think Seven Nation Army and you think of that duh. feel, that is...
1: Duh. And then just don't go down. Just do... Bah, 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 and hold that note. Don't go down to five. Then you've got the chord progression we're talking
0: about. It's really... Duh. Duh, duh. It's very, um, it, it gives it a, a droning feel. You know, I think that's why they use it so often is because it provides a little bit of motion in terms of the chords. It's not just sitting on one note or on one chord, but it still doesn't really move a lot. There isn't a lot of, there isn't even really tension and release. It's just kind of this droning tonality. And I think, I think it's used effectively, but. I think it's a valid critique to say that they use it. They do use it a lot. So if you want to hear a variety of chord progressions, you should probably listen to Robin Hitchcock and and not Neurosis. But that's not why you would listen to Neurosis anyway. (laughs)
1: Okay. So, final album I gave you to listen to. Before I go to the intro, I want to say, did you realize, knowing the French that you do, did you realize what was wrong with this band's name?
0: Uh immediately i thought that it was a typo on your part
1: no very <laughs> intentional so the name of this band is le butcherettes and that's l e le so if you know any french that is the male singular pronoun
0: but masculine singular because masculine it's, it's used singular, for fine it's used for men <laughs> but it's also used for masculine <laughs> nouns but french nerd
1: the subject the noun Butcherettes, that's not an actual French word, I don't think. No, it's not. It's not. But the ets suffix is feminine plural. So they have yeah. a double mistranslation or a double mistake on a French test. They've combined. Well, yeah, a,
0: butcherettes is just not a French word. Yes. It, it kind of sounds like an English word borrowing that et suffix to, mm, exactly. f- to make it that's, sound exotic. That's what it is.
1: But the point of that is you've got a masculine singular pronoun and a female plural now so it's a purposely mistranslated band name the name of the lead singer in la butcherettes I want to say her but given that all of this pronoun confusion and the name that she has I I don't want to assume a pronoun for this person their name is Terry genderbender hmm. last name gender hyphen bender yeah so la butcherettes this is one of the very few bands that I heard and discovered from a live performance, having never heard any of their albums.
0: I was wondering, I had a feeling, because this is also the most recent album Mm -hmm. I think that either of us recommended, probably. I'm
1: pretty sure the Ulcerate album was released like this year.
0: You're right, yeah, yeah. (laughs) With the exception of Ulcerate, yes, of course, which was 2020.
1: So I first saw Le Butcherettes open for a band called At The Drive-In, which many of you might know better as the former band of the lead two members of the Mars Volta. Omar Rodriguez Lopez,
0: the... Uh, oh, so Beto O'Rourke was in that band? <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah, they... <laughs> I don't know if they're still pulling for Beto. I think that that's a little bit of a lost cause at this point. But uh, anyway, <laughs> Omar Rodriguez Lopez, the guitarist of Mars Volta, wants up playing bass on this album. And he, I think, is responsible for promoting this band because they opened for At The Drive, and that's how I discovered them. And their live show is freaking fantastic because Terry Genderbender, she is, I I don't want to say she's a performance artist because the music itself is good, but she is very much this, you know, feminists literally tearing her dress off as she sings the song, Tear My Pretty Dress Off. And that that just gives you an idea of the music that's been founded within. It's a very outsider album, I want to say. Yeah. Because it's got these really cheesy, like, crappy Casio keyboard uh, synth tones. Oh, I loved it. But that's great because it gives it really raw, really minimalistic sound that reminds you that it just sounds like these aren't people who are professional trained musicians. These are just regular people who used whatever equipment they could find to bang out the tunes they want. And they're really good songs. So yep. take it away. What did you think of La Yeah,
0: so I thought it was interesting. Um, I Before I listened to the album, I read about it on Wikipedia, and I found that you know, La Butcharetz is a Mexican band, it's which true. is interesting because there aren't a lot of really well-known Mexican bands that are well-known in the U.S. and in Canada, which is not to say that there aren't many good ones, but it's just it's somewhat rare for them to break through. And, you know, the fact that there's obviously this
1: Richie Ballance, kind of
0: strong feminist context, you know, and and background to the musicians and to the music. <laughs> yes, La Bamba, of course. So, and also uh, Wikipedia characterized it as a garage punk album. Garage punk. It's I heard more of the, in the music, I heard more of the garage than I did of the punk. Mm-hmm it had a very garage rock and I mean like sixties garage rock, like that aesthetic, that, that very cheesy Casio keyboard. It reminded me of, you know, old bands like the doors, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously it's a different instrument, but it's that same kind of droning, almost annoying, like organ that you have in like every doors song, but that nonetheless kind of, it's very hypnotic and it kind of gets you into a certain feeling. And so it, 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 Provides atmosphere. To
1: me, I compare it way more to Devo than I would uh, Doors in terms of
0: keyboard stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In terms of the actual sound. But I mean, in terms of the role of that keyboard and the way it interacts with the guitar, it's a lot of just droning chords. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting. I believe that they probably are very punkish in their live show, but the music didn't sound terribly like punk. I think. It sounded very high energy. Yeah. It sounded more like early punk than it did like hardcore, let's put it that way. I would almost have to call it pop punk just because the songs are very catchy and poppy, but obviously it sounds nothing like, you know, Green Day or Sum forty one or or anything else you would probably associate with pop punk. You you I, seem to wanna to say something.
1: Well, I the way I would link it to punk is link it to the riot girl scene of punk, which is in itself yeah. closer to pop punk than straight up punk
0: music. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to throw shade at all. I quite enjoyed these songs. I thought that they were very catchy. And and maybe closer to like the first, first wave of punk, you know, like the Ramones. Not that it sounded like the Ramones, but just that kind of short, sort of bubblegum pop songs with a lot of speed and energy, which yeah. this band certainly doesn't lack for.
1: Mm-hmm. Any favorite, favorite cuts off of this one that stood out?
0: I liked Bang a lot.
1: Bang is a good one.
0: I think that was my favorite song.
1: Mm-hmm. Because she talks about killing George Bush and John McCain, is that why it's her favorite? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's just a, a you know an added side benefit. Kidding, kidding. Although,
1: yeah, respect in memory for for John. Of course, of course, of
0: course. Honestly, it was just the first half in particular. I think was my favorite. Mm-hmm. It was just a great succession of really catchy. I, I would call them pop punk songs, mm-hmm. even though they sound nothing like the cloying crap that you probably associate with that term
1: exactly yeah yeah right and i think that's an important distinction we should make is when we say pop punk we're not talking freaking blink 182 <laughs> no this is no 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 got way more unexpected chord and melodic changes in it than you'd ever find in a pop punk song but it's just got that same sort of
0: but not gratuitously so,
1: simplistic power chord energetic catchy feel to it. yeah
0: absolutely so, I mean, it's got a real bubblegum pop sound. It's it's real, like, it's pop to the core. Mm-hmm. But that's not a bad thing at all. It's, it's clever and interesting pop. And it is the kind of thing I'd like to hear more of. So do they have other good albums that you would recommend?
1: Uh, no. So this is like the one uh, frustrating thing for me, for me at least. I really don't like their other stuff nearly as much because after this album they lost that minimalistic sort of raw sound and they got much closer to your typical mainstream riot girl band. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing because I'm sure a lot of people like that. And I think looking at their ratings, like their later albums, I think the popular ratings are actually higher than my favorite album, which is their first one. And maybe that just speaks more to my personal tastes and liking sort of weird outsider music more than mainstream stuff.
0: But there's nothing wrong with that though.
1: Yeah. I would have to say my favorite song of this album is the song, the Leibniz language, which is a very cryptic song that I think is about, I think about women being discouraged from the STEM fields or from doing postgraduate math and science because,
0: Oh, that would make sense.
1: Yeah. Uh, and because she talks about Leibniz, she talks about Bruno was a classic and Bruno is a, another famous mathematician. Mm. And this was the song that sold me on them when I saw them live. Because the the, the climax of the song, she's just screaming over, help me, put me back together. And just like I talk about, she's a freaking performance artist. Watching her doing that live is just like powerful. Go see this band live is what I would say.
0: Yeah, I feel like, and and I, I, I remember thinking that as I was listening that this is probably a lot better live than it is in the studio. Oh, yeah. Like, this is probably a band that can't really be reproduced in your living room. That you probably do need to see these, these people. Oh, yeah. You know, on stage to fully reckon with the music.
1: One more thing their relation to Riot Girl extends further because they did a cover. Oh, sorry, Carrie Genderbender did a cover of Rebel Girl. And do you know who who backing was was on the cover of Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill?
0: No. Tell me.
1: backing band was the Melvins.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Check that out. The Melvins, very famous, uh, influential. Highly influential. You'd call them a grunge band because they're from Seattle and the grunge scene, but they're very much not uh, what you'd imagine as grunge. They're much more experimental bands.
0: Yeah. And extremely influential. I mean, Mm -hmm. in terms of rock music probably the most one of the most influential bands of the last 30 years or or however long yeah easily up there all right well that was our last album wasn't it
1: oh th- that's right we had we had other albums we had one more album each but we ran out of time so it. but check out also i will just say i think this was probably the favorite of the five albums i gave you because so i'm a little disappointed you didn't hear it but that's fine i'm not Blame you—it's hard to get us all in. Unwound the band, unwound, not unrest.
0: I listened band, Yeah, I listened to about half of yeah, it. Yeah, the
1: band Unwound has a terrific album called Leaves Turn Inside You, and I highly recommend you all check that out.
0: Excellent. I'm also going to give a quick shout out to the album that to the fifth album that I recommended to John that uh, we he decided to shave off, which is. Uh, Ignorance is bliss by Face to Face. This is this is really a pop punk band that started life emo. Oh no, this album is unabashedly emo, and I personally I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It is not. I mean, maybe the lyrics aren't to your taste, but. God. What's that?
1: I was I was just gonna say, don't let my dislike of Evo and that that style and lyrical content turn you off. Of oh, because I don't because I for actually, what it is, it's a good album.
0: Because I actually think that emo, like real emo, is is not the worst music in the world. But this album, I mean, the vocals sound a lot like Pearl Jam, the kind of you know deep baritone. Um, maybe not as good as Eddie Vedder, no, not as good. But uh, you know, kind of that same similar sound and. The music is, it sounds a lot like. I thought it sounded like. Popified fugazi. I was going to
1: say it sounded like early food Fighters, but that's just me.
0: It does sound a bit like that as well. So it's a bit of an amalgam. Anyway, those are our shout outs. This has been our show. I think it was a success. John, thank you for coming on. Glad to be here. And let's do it again soon, shall we?
1: Yeah, hope you have me back sometime soon.
0: Absolutely. All right. Take care, folks. Thanks
1: for listening.